Now, continuing on the theme from last week, uplifting stuff, right? You listen to it, did you have to take some antidepressants afterwards? I feel like I have to take them just about every time <laughs> that I produce some of this stuff. You just get wallowed in such negativity. You know, there's nothing happy and joyous about any of this material. There's very, very little, if any, sausage party hope. I'd like to tell you it's going to get better today. I'd like to. I'd really like to tell you that it's not. It is not going to get any better today. In fact, the most depressing part of all this stuff lies down a very dark road in the form of uh, some very ugly reptilian truths. Ego slaying introspection, that self-awareness stuff that I keep talking about. Introspection, becoming aware of who and what we are. It's the kind we all have to do together if we're going to fight through this. We're going to survive this informational anarchy. We have to go through this both individually, but also as a collective unit and in a massive group setting. If there are any, it's the only place, in my opinion, in my view, that we're going to find any solution. If you know anybody who's been addicted to drugs or alcohol or anything else, well, they'll, they'll be familiar with this process, as will their families. Uh, we usually hear it described as rock bottom. Addicts sometimes have to hit rock bottom. Life becomes so miserable that the addict finally takes self-inventory and makes his choice. Change or die. Hear about these uh, happy recoveries because <laughs> Eureka people like happy stories. They like happy endings. But far more fail in tragic obscurity. People we don't hear about. My friend Dennis from the Hitchhiking Days. He was one of those guys. How many of those people? The people, the ones that we don't hear about. The ones who failed to hit that rock bottom point and, and, and find the you know, happy path through recovery to, to redemption. How many of those people? never perceive themselves as hitting an abstract bottom. Maybe they could never hit it. Maybe there is no bottom for some people. How many quietly died without even admitting, even to themselves, let alone their family or anyone else, that they even had a problem? Again, like Dennis, others are just helpless in the face of a life lived without chemical anesthetics. When it comes to this technology, I'm talking about social media and the so many things here in the digital age. More specifically, our addiction to its dopamine drip, specifically to social media, and our carefully built echo chambers, which reflect our chosen worldview. I think we are firmly caught in uh, a widespread addict scenario. Now, my story, 12 years ago, politically, I thought sensible Republicans would reject the Tea Party eventually. They'd see it for what it was, the extremism, and they'd move on. Well, they never did. Tea Party kept mutating itself toward Trumpism before rebranding themselves uh, the Freedom Caucus not too long ago. After that, I was two-minded on this. I knew Donald Trump could be elected in 2016, and I said as much out loud and to people who thought I was nuts. And then when Trump became something more than just a, you know, a political freak show, I thought we'd hit that you know, rock bottom. Like, oh my God. He has a chance. This has got to be rock bottom, right? People are going to wake up. They're going to see what's going on here. And this is going to be the thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> nope. Sure as hell didn't work out that way, right? I spent most of 2016 after I already said that he, he could win, that I knew he could win. I said that late 2015, maybe January-ish of 2016. But I spent most of the rest of that year before the election. Inside the self-delusion that we'd wake up, that somehow we'd still, we were still going to wake up before the election. Somehow we were just going to sober up the miraculous cure of political coffee. Something would happen. There's no way we were going to nominate him, let alone elect the man. The delusion that Donald fucking Trump was the telltale dead canary stinking up the coal mine. I thought that had to be it. 
wrong. And Trump was elected. I was out on my, probably my last real hitchhiking trip during the election, watching the returns on my, my phone inside of a bivy in the shadow of, of Cheyenne Mountain, Colorado Springs. Boy, that night, I was not a happy man. I could not believe that that had happened. I mean, I could. I saw I kind of saw it. I knew it was a possibility, a legitimate possibility, but I didn't want to believe that it could. Donald Trump? So around inauguration time, and after, I don't know, maybe a few months, spent some time inside of the resistance. We were living in Chicago at the time. Took my camera to the protests around town. Some travel ban. I can't remember exactly what it was, but there were protests at O'Hare Airport. There were protests all over the place. I took my camera out to O'Hare, took photographs of these protests. But it was right here. I was firmly within the resistance camp then. I was taking these pictures from a propagandist, a photographic propagandist point of view, pro-protest images. Plus, I wanted to document this because that felt like a seminal moment in American history. It was. It really was. We had entered a new phase when Donald Trump was elected. I wanted to document some of that there in Chicago. But... The long-range takeaway on this, from my time at those protests at O'Hare and around uh, the Loop downtown, Trump Tower in Chicago, the takeaway was that I saw sort of the embryonic, uh, equal and opposite extremist mutation that was taking place, even further mutation taking place within the Democratic Party, this resistance in, in particular. There was something about it, something taking shape gripping Democrats in response specifically to Donald Trump. Something happened. I have pictures of Antifa polluting Chicago's streets that day. Oh, they don't exist. You want to bet? I've seen them. I ran into them. Antifa's real. You may not have a central organization. You may not be able to deliver a flyer or a mailer. It's a real thing. I'm not going to be lectured about their existence by anybody. I've seen it. I have pictures of them, pictures that I took. A lot of people like to say that all of these uh, anti-Trump protests on Inauguration Day were perfectly peaceful. They were not perfectly peaceful. They were mostly peaceful. By and large, they were peaceful, but there were sporadic outbreaks of violence. And guess who was responsible for them? Anarchists and Antifa. A couple months later, right around March or April, uh, I started severing social media ties with most of my old anti-Trump cohorts. I saw the formation of something that I had predicted. I knew it was coming. I hoped it wasn't, but I, I had a pretty good idea it was. Something I'd predicted long before it happened, I called it the Green Tea Party. The radicalization into batshittery of the American left. Some people say it happened long before that. I saw it. I still think that that massive mutation happened in 2017 after Donald Trump took office. There was a lull. There was something going on between the election and the uh, inauguration that year. I'll talk a little bit more about the, the hitchhiking trip. I was in a bivy, stealth camping, right across the interstate from Cheyenne Mountain, Colorado Springs, NORAD. <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting place to, to be for an election. Get up the next morning, I'm behind a truck stop. And as was my way, I would get up and I would make my way inside to get coffee. Uh, they happen to have a subway there. I'd found the wonders of the cold-cut combo cheap. You can eat half in the morning, half at night. Anyway, I went and got my cold-cut combo. Sat down and uh, CNN is on the uh, television. I don't know, 7, 7.30 in the morning. People coming in and out, in and out, in and out. 
And the one thing I remember was this look on the faces of CNN's morning talent. They looked like they had been struck by lightning. They could not believe the election results from the night before. They could, they had no idea how to react to it. I don't know that I talked to anybody that morning. I just said, I think I was charging my phone, probably writing. So I was, I was still like, what the hell happened? Oh my God. But I, I watch people. That's what I do when I'm out. And people were coming in and out and I didn't ask. But I'm pretty sure that just judging by the countenance of the people walking into that subway the day after the election in 2016, you could tell who voted for whom or who supported who. And there were people that just didn't look left or right when they walked in. They were slouched. They were dejected, defeated. And then there were the other ones. Big military base there in Colorado Springs, if you don't know. Really conservative area. And several more people were coming in, military people, just rednecks, just average run-of-the-mill conservative types. Yeah, look what we did. <laughs> we showed those liberals, didn't we? They were just on cloud nine, man. But the, the one thing that struck me was CNN. I've never seen a professional journalist, professional television outfit. It was like something off of public access. They could not control showing their disappointment. This is supposed to be a professional news organization. They, they could not help but editorialize with their expressions, their tone. They looked beaten. And there was after this. Now, for the next couple of months, this is November, so December into January, up until about the point that Trump was inaugurated. And I, I went down to those protests downtown Chicago. They licked their wounds, went off to convalesce, and then something happened right around the inauguration. That was the beginning of whatever this is with the left in general, with the radicalization from the left into the green tea left. Woke ontology is part of that. Yeah, 2017 was the ascension of woke flake madness into the mainstream. It was around long before that. This Here's a fun exercise. I've watched The Sopranos, one of my favorite TV shows, possibly the best TV series of all time, The Sopranos. HBO Max is worth the subscription price just for that. But Wokentology, as I'm going to start calling it, I think, has been around longer than 2017. It, it, it stretches way back, and you can see indications of it written into The Sopranos. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know where it was going. We were talking about this 20, 25 years ago. Coddling children. Everybody gets a trophy. What was going on at the universities? It made its way into The Sopranos. All you have to do is pay attention to Meadow. It's in there. There are little embryonic hints indications of where this was going. It wasn't nearly as widespread. It sure as hell hadn't taken over the institutions at the time, but you can see it seeping in. And the Sopranos did a wonderful job characterizing the conflict between whatever that was in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and how it was going to run people the wrong way. Anthony Jr., teenage kid, youngest kid, right? He has two kids, Meadows older, Anthony Jr.'s younger. Anthony Jr. is just, a, just a, basically a tool coddled, privileged white kid living in New Jersey. Long story short, he gets involved. He gets addicted to post-9-11 Iraq war news. He's got this hot little girlfriend. Uh, the two of them sort of bond over this environmentalism and this far left, uh, at the, for at the time anyway, activism. And it sends him into a depression because that's all he's doing. All he's doing is watching news about Iraq 
Uh, Don't you care about the environment? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, it's a good thing I blew my car up because now it'll force me to take the bus. I hope I got that right. But it's that kind of just stupid shit. Fart sniffing. I've still got that thing on me. Sniffing shit. That was Tony Soprano Jr. AJ. But Wolflickism, at least the embryonic source of it, the initial stages of it, has been around a really long time, burrowing itself into society. Now, 2017, that was six years ago, a little over six years ago that Trump was inaugurated, and beginning with the Million Pussy Hat March, remember that? Running all the way through the Trump years, we've uh, seen as the far left has used Donald Trump as an excuse to further radicalize rather than supplying a sane alternative. They chose the hold my beer tactic while proving that Newton's third law also applies to political extremism. Got an episode back there on that. Trump dragging the GOP into one swamp, our, our woke flakes, channeled the Tea Party and hijacked our sole opposition party with finger-clapping visions of another utopian heaven on earth. Shangri-La in the new world, all while demanding safe spaces, freedom from speech, and using the worst of McCarthy's blacklist tactics to stifle, cancel the rest. And they've even started using Comrade in some places. The Democratic Socialists of America. If you don't know anything, I've got some stuff back there for you too. But yeah, they call each other comrade. And they, if you're watching the video, they, they clap. They, this is how they clap. Because they don't want to make too much noise. They don't want to trigger anybody. Using comrade, unironically, mind you. Unironically. In the United fucking States. Then once the media deified and canonized George Floyd... During COVID, the riots began. Another seminal moment in American history. Summer of 2020. The George Floyd riots. BLM had been around at least six years by then, but that's where whatever overreaching program, all of this stuff falls beneath the blanket of, that's when the talents, I think, really sunk into American society. As many predicted years ago, some of whom I admittedly scoffed at back then, The statues being torn down were suddenly of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abe Lincoln, not just Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis. People predicted that. People said that was coming. I didn't believe them. You were right. National myth, the cohesive narrative under full assault. Our woke conquistadors began attacking our national avatars, our idols, the temples of the established secular religion. The cohesive narrative. The national myth. Why did they do that? Because only when the invaders have finished burning the cathedrals to the ground can they replace them with their own. From Rome to Massachusetts, the Bay Colony, Plymouth, to the Yucatan and to Peru. You have to burn the temples, eradicate the gods, tear down the idols. You have to replace the religion, the established order, with your own. That's what tearing down statues of George Washington Thomas Jefferson represents. I call wokest socialism an invasive species because that's exactly what it is. It's not native to this country. It is not a native species in the American experience. Socialism and individualism, they're oil and water. As close to literally as you could probably get without being literal. Merit and equity. Collectivism and individualism? Self-sufficiency and protecting, infantilizing entire groups. 
It's a strain of equity-based politics that's foreign and, more importantly, incompatible with core American ideals. To take root, it will have to fully eradicate the existing religion. Again, I ask this, and hopefully I get an answer to this soon. <sighs> Who's orchestrating this? Where is all this coming from? Who is manipulating America's youthful, useful idiots? Manipulating these kids with agitprop, this time through their own devices. Christopher Rufo has a new book out. He claims to have answers to those questions. Who is organizing this? Where did it come from? That's what I want to know. Too consistent, too common to be spontaneous. From cancel culture to BLM to defund the police and decriminalizing illegal behavior as long as it's committed uh, by the oppressed group. A member of the oppressed group, apparently. The extreme left continues to be increasingly divisive, tax and scapegoating whomever they've judged to be an evil oppressor. We watch CRT infest schools. D.I.E. Diversity, inclusion and equity has slipped into your workplace rectum like a mandatory re-education enema. Political and corporate religious test. Have you properly demonstrated your commitment to equity, comrade? Obviously, I've been studying the psychology of propaganda. Also looking into the history a little bit from uh, uh, Vladimir Lenin's agitprop. Mentioned that a couple episodes back to Goebbels and Hitler. Mao. That's particularly interesting, Mao, Stalin, Castro, and of course our own here in the United States. In my opinion, our own propaganda is maybe the most impressive because it's a system of competing propagandas going on at the same time. Alul talked about this in his book, Propaganda. And it's a war, a propaganda war, an information war, a psychological war, really being waged via a for-profit electronic dispatch, for-profit agitprop media, selling hatred. It's about to be... <laughs> Put in the hands of AI. If you can detach from this enough to look at this, just objectively reptilian, no emotion involved. This is fascinating to, to think about. The competing propaganda religions. It's like the Middle East. I've made that analogy. Left and the rights of the Arabs and the Jews. Competing propagandas. Each have their own media. Each have their own echo chambers. It's really interesting if you can detach from it. The problem is I don't think we can stay detached forever. And all this stuff has led me to a dire conclusion, obviously, until the pandemic. I, despite my experience with Katrina, I mentioned that, right? Went down to Louisiana, Mississippi after Katrina. One of the reasons I hate Mississippi. Volunteered with uh, animal rescue groups down there, right? Rescue pets after Katrina devastated New Orleans, southern Mississippi. I expected all of these groups to be getting along, cooperating, looking out for each other. We all have a common goal, a common purpose. This huge, this incredibly destructive natural disaster has, has hit us. We have to put aside our differences and work together. That's what I expected. <laughs> that was dumb. Factional tribalism in the wake of Hurricane Katrina while you're rescuing pets, you talk about a J.D. Uh, boy, I came away from there incredibly disillusioned. I never learned my lesson, though, apparently, because I thought that we would smack up against rock bottom with this stuff. With Donald Trump, I thought we'd smack up against rock bottom. I'm not convinced we're ever going to gently bump against it. In our case, rock bottom may hit us like the Chuxalube crater asteroid. 
and poof, that may be rock bottom for this when it comes to informational warfare, informational anarchy, and the demand that we have our own very special, not only pronouns, but our own very special reality. I don't think we're anywhere near a rock bottom. I don't know that it exists. You know who Adam Kinzinger is, right? He decided to go out and he's going to start this, uh, I don't know, movement. I forget what it's called. <laughs> I liked this guy. I really did. I liked this guy until I saw that. I'm like, oh my God, okay, you're either selling something or you're just dumb. It's like this Pollyannic come together crap. Come together right now. Over me. But if you're clinging to Adam Kinzinger's brand of sausage party, hope. Show your work. Show me your work, please. Tonsillex at gmail.com. I have been asking this for at least four years. Show me your work. Show me your work. Show me your hopeful path and do it with things that don't involve the words maybe or should. Andrew Yang is another one. He's got this thing. Oh my God. Are you living in this? You talk about people who don't have a grip on reality. Do you not know people? You, this guy was a presidential candidate. He has swum around the political swamp naked. Does he have a learning disability? Probably a good thing he wasn't elected. I like Adam Kinzinger. I like how he stood up to Trump. He bucked the party. But maybe cynically now I got to start thinking, see, I gave him too much credit again. All of my biggest mistakes. Very few have been not giving enough credit. The biggest mistakes that I've made have usually been by giving people too much credit. Kinzinger, I have to be cynical about this. That all the stuff he was saying about Donald Trump when he was part of the Republican Party, when he decided to leave the Republican Party, he probably read the tea leaves, probably read the writing on the wall, <laughs> maybe not very well, thinking that the, the Republicans were going to about ready to crater, about ready to be drugged down by him, by Trump, and that this was a good time to jump ship and rebrand himself. But the stuff he's he's pouring out there about oh, coming together, I, I can't even remember the name of the stupid organization. As soon as I, I heard a little bit more about this stuff, I'm like, okay, you're Yang. What is, what's the other one? The No Labels Party? Okay. You have to show me your work. If you believe that these groups, that these organizations have any hope, any prayer in hell of having an effect, a positive impact, a real significant and positive impact on American politics. You have to show me your work and you can't use the words maybe or should. This is how it's going to happen if it happens. I don't want to hear how you have to believe something. That's religion. I think I have something on that maybe later on in this. I won't, won't get to it this week. But you need to show me your work. I've been asking people to show me their work for years. Tonzilla X at gmail.com. Maybe I'll even put it on the screen. Not seeing it. Yeah, show me the work. Show me the path forward. Or maybe show me the path to the poppy field you're living in these days because, yeah, I do not see it. I'm going to reiterate this because it's important. Again, I do sympathize. If showing your work would mean some using some version, I have to believe this, or I have to believe that, or I have to believe da 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 da. I do sympathize, but you're making my main point here. 
that in general and by default, people refuse to face the cold, hard truth of their situation, of who they are, who we are, and where we're going, where we came from, why we are where we are. If you say you have to believe something, you don't want to look at the truth. Because you know you have to believe, because on some level, you know what a confrontation with reality might do to you. You're proving my point. It would appear that as, you know, collectively as a species, we would rather die, go extinct, than face the uglies. Than face the cold, hard truth of reality, because that means accountability. That means it takes a lot of hard work mostly executed on ourselves. I started this out talking about addiction. Many addicts never get to the point, never survive, not getting to the point where they're able or forced, whatever. It's a huge accomplishment to be able to look at oneself in the mirror and say, I need to change. I have got to get a grip on this. I have a serious problem. If I don't fix this, if I don't get this under control, I am going to die. Not every addict gets there. The vast majority of them don't. Sometimes, like Dennis, the result, the end result impacts somebody else. People would rather ignore, stick their head in the sand and die. That's how uncomfortable it is. And I think that is the, the dominant trait of this species. Like, which are we? I asked before, are we good people capable of doing evil things or are we evil people capable sometimes of doing good things? Right? I mean, if I had to paint the, the character sketch of human beings of this species, that would be one of the very first things I'd draw into it. People refuse, would rather die than confront the naked reality of who they are. Collectively, that's a species trait. Individually, individual cells within the human organism, sure, but not collectively. Collectively, <laughs> that's going to write the ticket to where this ship goes. So all that being said today, I've been saying since 2019 that we have moved beyond a rescue effort into a triage and mitigation scenario. Lots of fresh, new, yet familiar, terrified chatter that's been coming about moderation. This is the Kinsinger thing. Oh, we've got to moderate. We've got to tone things down. We've got to come together. Oh, how we need to be rejecting hatred. Rejecting hatred. Andrew Yang, I mentioned him a few minutes ago, started a party. Apparently without considering how that will work out with our electoral college requirements. I presume he's going to have a presidential candidate or he wants to have a presidential candidate at some point. Well, how does that third party shit work out when you have the electoral college requirement? You've got to get so many. I forget what the number is now. How does that work when you inject another third party in there? The best thing that a third party can hope for, I, I know how you, how you idealists love the idea of a third party. The best a third party can hope for is nobody gets to the threshold if they take enough from both sides and nobody gets there. And guess what happens then? Congress decides who's the president. Imagine if you've got a bunch of MAGA Republicans there. You're going to like it then? Are you libertarians going to like it when AOC and her group are deciding who's the next president? Well, that should be fun. And Kinzinger, uh, his stated goal was to end toxic tribalism. He's done this after consulting God, <laughs> apparently. 
But now considering that the toxin and tribalism are evolutionary traits, not defects. His own little brand of cultural eugenics, apparently. Ending toxic tribalism. You're not going to end tribalism any more than you're going to end the opposable thumb. Toxic tribalism, what are you going to replace it with? Again, as I said before, both of these movements, Yang's and Kinzinger's, sound like opportunism and or desperate Hail Mary passes. Hopefully I'm wrong. I'm not. <laughs> Happy uplifting stuff, ain't it? Well, if by chance you like this tribalism material, make sure you're subscribed and make sure you click in and check out the next one. I have a ton of stuff down that line coming up. We'll talk to you next time. So long.